Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Happy New Year. How is everyone? Okay. <clears throat> I, I know in the new year, everybody's got a resolution. Okay, we get, we get that. And most New Year sermons um, remind you of the fact that you have a resolution, and you're probably not going to keep it, right? On the other hand, I want to talk today about what it meant to be resolved. Um, of course, same word, resolution, have a resolve, to be resolved, resolute. And that simply means this, you've made a decision. I have made a decision to do this. Now, what, it's, what it means for us is I have made a decision to lose 30 pounds. And no, that's not my resolution, by the way. I'm just, that's an example. I'm just throwing out examples, okay? <clears throat> our, our, I re, I, you know, we... Make a New Year's resolution, we're going to get on our budget, we're going to live within our means, or we're going to pay off the whatever, right? Those are all good, and, and I'm, I want to encourage you to, to have those, but that is not the most important thing you'll do. <clears throat> if we were more like Christ, now there's a couple ways I can ask this question. The guilty way is, is this, if you were more like Jesus... The world wouldn't be like it is. Okay? And that makes everybody feel like a little bad. But here's, here's the better way of asking it. If we were more like Christ, if we were more like Christ, could our families stay the same? If I was more like Christ, would my neighborhood stay the same? If I were more like Christ, would my community stay the same? Would my nation stay? Now, and that, now let's multiply that beyond just me. If we were more like Christ, imagine whole cities becoming more like Christ. Now, I say this because <clears throat> we do live in a world that's turned upside down. It shouldn't be confusing to us that the world is messed up, right? And if you don't have any of these problems, just bear with me for a moment. But if you've been watching the news lately, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. There's, there's fear coming out of the media every other day, and Virginia has spiked, and everybody else is spiking, and hospitals are full, and we're not sure about what to do next week, right? Um, should we go to school? Should we isolate? Should we, should we, do, should we, would we, could we? Who knows? So there's fear. There's anxiety. Uh, I talked to several people this last week when we talked about what are you doing on the New Year's, and they said really nothing because they don't really have any expectations for next year. And I thought, how sad. Just sort of living one uh, event to the next, hoping that things get better. But I wonder what it would look like. We, we look at our inflation. It's not good news, by the way. Um, it's going to cost you more to do whatever you did last year, this year, for a while anyway. It's... It's showing us that violence is up. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just throwing out facts. The culture that we live in continues to slide into a dogmatic secularism, unbiblical immorality. Uh, <clears throat> I read an article this last week that would be, um, maybe you are familiar with the term, it's called paganism. But it says that how our Western Christianity as a nation is returning to paganism. And what does that mean? What does that mean for our nation? Um, if you go back to B.C., Rome, even before Christ, um, Rome had a, a moral issue of making people Roman citizens and following the law. There were standards. There were structures in place. But it was very pagan. They had a very immoral approach on life. 
Um, a lot of things were acceptable that we would say, oh my goodness, that would never be acceptable. That should never even be on the radar screen. Jesus comes. Now, they, they, the Jewish believers then were looking at Jesus as the Messiah coming on a white horse. Jesus did not come on a white horse. We just celebrated that, right? He came in a manger. And when he comes in a manger, it throws off the Jews. But he dies on a cross. And about 200 years, 300 years later, Christianity, through much difficulty and through much suffering, is now dispersed. And through Rome, Christianity becomes a state religion. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, Christianity has moved from being just something people believe in, in a very immoral culture, to now Christianity moves in and they are able to Christianize everything. Now, what does that mean? Just very quickly, and I'm still in my introduction. So. <clears throat> um, they begin to Christianize everything. That's why sometimes we look at Christmas and the children ask very good questions. Was Jesus really born on December 25th? No. Okay. Um, well, isn't that Saturnalia? Isn't that a, a, a really, sorry, I messed, did I mess Corey up on that one? Uh, uh, these two guys, okay. They really thought, and I'm sorry, just kidding. Um, there is no Santa Claus either, just throwing that out there. Now, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Let's, uh, let's all stand. We're going to be dismissed. Here's, here's what happens, though. Christianity so infiltrates the culture. Yes, it becomes a state religion, so everybody calls himself Christian, but everything is becoming Christianized, meaning every holiday has Christ's stamp of approval on it, not approving the holiday, but changing it to focus on Christ. So instead of celebrating Saturnalia, they now celebrate the coming of the king. All right? Now, I'm, I'm just saying that because I want you to see how the culture shifts. Because in the last 100 years, the United States has been going through a shift a secularism that once was built on Christian values, that once looked at Christ as king and, and God as a, a power, a greater power, that even if they weren't strong Christ followers, if they were absolute rank people, they at least knew a God existed. Now, I say that because over a period of time, what is awful to one generation is embraced by the next. What is obliviously not allowed in one generation is embraced by the next. Now, over a period of years, and you can look at the politics, you can look at our culture, you can look at all the things around us, Christianity now is more of a back burner belief system that is little by little not involved, you know, I want to say not involved in politics. Unfortunately, um, instead of politics having its foundation in Christianity, Christianity is trying to find a foundation in politics, and that's not how it's supposed to be. So be very careful. But instead of us having a, a nation that's built on Christian principles, we now have a nation that has embraced all type of belief, backgrounds, and systems that now as a Christian nation, we no longer believe in Christian principles. And you say, well, why, why are you bringing all that up this morning? Because if we were all like Christ, would it stay the same? If we were all more like Christ, could the world we're living in right now stay the same? If our friends and our neighbors became more like Christ, if we sort of made a stand in our own lives and resolved to be like Christ. Yes, buy a new car this year. But if you buy a new car and you're not like Christ, you're just in debt. Okay? I want to resolve to pay off the house. Pay off the house, please. But if you pay off the house and you're not like Christ, um, your neighbors still are not going to appreciate that they have Christ-like neighbors. You won't be a light in the neighborhood. Uh, you'll just see a lot of lights coming to your neighborhood. 
Now, now I'm not trying to be mean or critical. I'm just saying we live in a, in a world that's turned upside down and we think it's normal. And it's not. So I, I'm saying this. Turn to Daniel 1, chapter 1. Um, whether it's on, in a book, on your phone, on your iPad, it'll be on the screen in a moment, but I want you to get used to, to, to bringing your own stuff. Now, while you're turning there, <clears throat> is it impossible to be Christ-like? No, it is not impossible to be Christ-like. That's why we are not very good at it. We think it's impossible to be Christ-like. First of all, you have to be saved to be Christ-like. But Colossians 1.22 says Jesus died in order that we can be presented holy and blameless before him. Matthew 5.48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There's only one way for you and I to be perfect. And I'm not preaching down at anyone. There's only one way for you and I to be perfect, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.15, and he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. And I'm going to read Daniel in just a moment. Here's, here's what that just said. Your first calling is to be holy. You know, when I was younger, it was like, John, what do you call it? I'm called the pastor. Like that's some cool thing, right? Well, if you were going to a ministry college, it was. You know, everybody was trying to find, what's your calling? Well, I really don't, I'm called the pastor. I'm, no, you're called to be like Christ. What kind of vessel he uses you as, you learn along the way. But some of us get stuck on what kind of vessel we are, and the worst thing you can do is be a vessel without being like Christ. So our, our first calling is just to grow up and mature and be like Jesus, right? And he uses us along the way. Being like Jesus is very attainable. Not that we become a God, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, day by day we become like him. Our part is to continue in the faith, steadfast, not sifting and shifting from one feeling to the next. How many know that we live by feelings? Ephesians says that we are being led by the power every day that he is working in us to bring us to that maturity. So it's possible. Now, what has this got to do with Daniel chapter 1? <laughs> Can I just read this and then we'll jump into it? Everybody okay? It's 1040. I have another hour and a half. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And let me just stop there, and I'm going to reiterate some of this as we go. But, but understand, Jerusalem, that at that time was pertaining just to the tribe of Judah, Jerusalem was besieged or taken over by Babylon. And he goes in and he takes these young lives and he, he basically, they ransack because their, their desire is to destroy all normality in Jerusalem. Destroy your history and you have no history. Tear down your temple and you have no religion. You have no belief system. So what does he do? <clears throat> And he brought them to the land of Sinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them the daily portions of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were there to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Meshach he called, or Mishael, and he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, just let that sink in for a second. <clears throat> Daniel decided he wasn't having it. Daniel made a decision 
It's not going to happen. Okay, now we're going to get into this in a minute. He would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of that passage because I'm going to be speaking to it in just a moment. It goes on, the rest of that chapter goes on to say how that the chief eunuch gave in to Daniel and did not give them the wine, did not give them, but only gave them vegetables and water. Some would call this a Daniel fast, right? <clears throat> a lot of people start off the new year with a Daniel fast. They just, all vegetables, juices, um, water, obviously. Some start off the year with a, an absolute fast. Why? It's, it's just to make sure you're not continuing to allow things that don't belong in your body to be in your body. Now, I'm not pushing fasting this morning. I'm trying to show you what Daniel was doing here because the same thing is happening to us. Because he goes on, and when Daniel makes this decision not to be defiled, several days pass, and when he comes back, he sees these four young men who now look better than the other guys who have been eating the king's food and the king's wine. He takes them before the king. The king uh, does a little bit of investigation with them, and he comes to find out that these young men are now 10 times smarter than anybody he's got on his board. They're 10 times better. They're gifted. They, they can read dreams. They, they know how to look through issues and see and they know how to discern. They understand things better than anybody else. Ten times better than anybody else. Now, what has this got to do with us? Well, I, I truly believe <clears throat> that the same thing happens to us if we're not careful. That's why I want to start off with resolve on this new year. We're not doing a series on this because next week we're, we're literally starting in Acts chapter 1. And we're working through the book of Acts. Why Acts? Because I want you to know how to Acts. In 2022. See what I did there? Wouldn't it be nice just to see, um, maybe you can call it, what would Jesus do series for 2022? I don't know. But it really is going to be a what the church acted like. And I don't, some of you are already getting nervous. Don't, don't get nervous. This isn't about, oh, he's going to try to raise people from the dead. Uh, no, I'm just praying that we will come alive. What if the dead in us rose up? What if the things in my life that I've just let lay down and die rose up? Now, we'll get into that next week, right? But it's really, I've got to make a decision. I want to start off this year having made a decision. And I'm just going to speak to this for a moment because I've only got, I've got three brief points that if any of you know me, that means nothing. Because brief is not always brief. But here's what I can tell you. If you don't make a decision, you'll end up somewhere. Someone else will have decided it for you. You'll end up somewhere next year. You'll end up somewhere by the end of January, by February, by March. And if you're like a lot of people I know, around October, they're thinking, oh, just, I'll start in January. Because things get so away and out of hand. They just sort of give up till the next year. That's why I believe there's got to be a resolute mindset that has resolved in their spirit. Here's what's going to happen. I've got three simple points. You ready? First of all, <clears throat> we've got to be resolved in how we think. We've got to be resolved in how we think. Now, now why is that important? <clears throat> well, we already know that Bible tells us that we need to have a transformed mind so there's going to be a a retooling a renewing of the mind that's got to happen anyway so you can't tell me that that shouldn't happen it's necessary but why when we look at daniel there's a couple things that happened in this passage <clears throat> that happens i believe we can see it in our culture all the time and it simply says this um they were taken out of their culture put into another culture and demanded to be that culture. Now, how did this happen? Um, first of all, let me say this, that <clears throat> when you look at the book of Daniel, holistically, when you understand 
why Daniel was even written. It was written to people going through an exile, and it was reminding them, here's why you're going through the problems you're going through, because your forefathers did not obey God. To a great extent, that happens in any culture. What we're going through is because of, and I'm not saying this is not a point at your parents' message, but, but look at the last couple of generations, that slow retreat from God. That slow, you know, you go back to 1962, but it didn't start in 1962. There was a slow retreat from God. They took prayer out of school, and they've been trying to erase God from everything ever since. Now, now to some of us, depending on your age, to some of us, this doesn't even resonate because it's so normalized that you don't know what it is to have God in the culture. You don't know what it means to have God as a part of the nomenclature in class. I can still remember a day when I was a child that there were schools that still said, forget you, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer every day. And, but it was still at a time where a lot of government officials still led prayers in their offices, where a lot of government officials still said, you better believe we're having prayer in school. Go to a public school and find me prayer right now unless it's in a closet somewhere. Prayer is the only thing in a closet at public schools. Hello? All right. Now, oh, man, is he bashing what I think he's bashing? No, I'm not bashing anything. This is truth. But you're living in a culture which will make this sound like bashing. And what it's geared to do is to shut me up, see? It's geared to, to make everybody who wants to speak truth, don't speak truth because now you're bashing culture. I'm not bashing culture. Um, I'm, we're just simply going to be doing what Daniel's doing. Not going to happen. No, not going to happen. Why? Because what did they do? Babylon's intention was to annihilate any history, annihilate any thought of God ever, bring them into their culture, and you will believe what we want you to believe. Educate them with Babylonian heritage Educate them with the Chaldean language because is it wrong to, you mean pastor, is it wrong to know another language? No. It's not wrong to know another language. Learning Chaldean wasn't the problem. It was, you will learn Chaldean so you will be a good Babylonian. You're going you're gonna to stand in the king's presence. You're going to represent the king, which means all your history means nothing anymore. Your, your past means nothing. Your God means nothing anymore. Um, am I making sense this morning? So we're, we're walking into this, this feeling, even in our culture, where we've not had to be kidnapped and taken to another country. Another country has involved in, in our own midst. And we are not, you are not the nation you were 10 years ago. You're not the nation you were 20 years ago. I, I think I said this a few weeks ago in one of my messages if my grandfather or my dad were alive today, and my dad only passed 20 years ago, if my dad were alive today, I honestly don't know what he would do. Besides just maybe automatically have a heart attack, I'm not sure. I'd be afraid of, if he didn't have a heart attack, what he would do, to be honest with you. Because everything is so foreign that he would be like, what happened? And you know he would grab around the neck first? Me. You're a pastor, boy. How did you let this happen? When did you stop preaching the word? You know, I've always preached the word. I really have. But we live in a culture that is trying to pull us away, and it's trying to move us into a setting where it becomes normalized. It's just normal. It's a part of the culture. Just embrace it. Well, what do you mean? How does that even work? First of all, it isolates us. Because if it can isolate you, and I'm not talking about COVID. You know, forget COVID. COVID is just one small hiccup. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, now, COVID's a real thing. Please don't, I'm not being silly. COVID's a very real thing. But, but so are airplane crashes. So I'm not being silly when I say this isn't about COVID. When I say isolation, 
They try to put you in a situation where you can be in the middle of a room but feel all by yourself. And when you feel all by yourself, you need somebody, which you do. But it can make you feel like who you need and what you need can only be provided by everyone else except Jesus. And we let that get into the church sometimes. And, but there's isolation. There's indoctrination. I think this fully explains what's happening in our culture right now. But but listen, there's compromise. I'm going to get on this a little bit more in a moment. But what do you think it means when the guy comes in, he's got all these young men that they just kidnapped and brought in from Jerusalem, and he says, listen, guys, you're going to eat from the king's table and drink the king's wine. Well, that would be like saying, John, you get to go to the Super Bowl. Really? That's on a Sunday. Okay, I can make that work. Right? Somebody give me an amen. You know I'm right. You know, John, you could, you could have dinner with the president. When? Next Sunday. Okay. Now, now here, here's my point. Um, oh, come on, Pastor. You're just missing one Sunday. No, you're missing the point. See, there's this enticement. The, the world becomes incredibly good at marketing what they think, what they want you to think you need. And see, so it, 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 we begin compromising. Now, instead of having a resolved mindset, we've been, we begin saying, well, you know, this is okay, and this is okay, and this is okay. And the train has left the station. The second point is simply this. It's not only resolved in how we think, but we need to be resolved in the way we live out our faith. See, I can think it, but if I'm not living it, it's just a conversation in my mind. I, I, I can think about it, but there needs to be a resolve to live it. Now, let me just say this as we enter into 2022. And this might rub everybody a little bit wrong, but the beginning of the year is the best time to do it. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves. Why? Um, not that this is the best preaching you'll hear all week. Many of you listen to eight or nine different preachers all week long. All right? It's not so much that this is the best preaching you'll ever hear. It's that this is the best fellowship you'll receive. There's something about being together in the body of Christ and starting your week off. Uh, Pastor Nick made a very powerful statement because it's even when we come here and start the service off at 8 o'clock with prayer or at 9 o'clock with prayer, and we pray and we just pray for each other. We pray for you. You've been prayed for this morning. We pray for the service. We pray for the week. Why? Because it gets our focus on what's really important. Sundays get your focus on what needs to be really important, God, and how you live this out the rest of your week. Why? Because it's not easy living this out in the culture we're living in. That's why you have to be resolved. Am I making any sense? There has to be a resolve that I'm, I'm not just going to put up with a lot of things. There's a lot of things that, that, that we may be involved in. And, oh, pastor, you sound like you're getting ready to get legalistic. No. You know, it's funny that when, when a pastor says, if you're an alcoholic, don't drink, that's legalism. But if, if the guy at the AA meeting says, don't drink, that's love. If, if we drive our friend um, who's OD'd on whatever to the emergency room, and we, and we tell him, man, you shouldn't be doing that. Don't hang around that person. Man, stop judging me. But once they finally get into an NA program, and somebody says, stop taking heroin. Now we call it love. See, you, you almost can't win. Well, pastor, just let it happen naturally. It doesn't happen naturally. It's called indoctrination. If you teach your children from the time they know how to listen 
And believe me, they know more than you think when they start listening. Because they've just been they been using you as an example. If it, man, my kid acts like a demon. I'm just saying. Sorry about that, Nick. Nick's going to think about having children now. Uh, here's, here's the uh, reality. Um, every child needs instruction. If you don't give them instruction, here's what I love about Daniel uh, and the other three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's what I love about them. They were in their 15, 16 years of age, but by the time they got to Babylon, they had been so trained and indoctrinated that they could not be brainwashed in Babylon. Now, let that sink in for a second. And I'm very serious. This is one small reason that we started this school. I've had so many conversations with daycare parents. Daycare parents. Two- and three-year-old moms and dads. Here's a statement they're making. We really want him to make his own decision. And I'm like, really? Um, well, what is, what is he going to make those decisions based on? What foundation is he going to be able to stand on to say, here's how I'm making this decision, that this is right or this is wrong? What parents are trying to say, and I, parents, I love you, but here's what parents are trying to say. I'm taking the road that's easiest for me to bear. I don't want little Johnny to scream all night, so I'm going to let him do what he wants. My dad had a cure for that. It was, it was an attitude adjustment that's against the law now. Right? Now, I'm not talking, don't go home and beat your children. But, but listen, here's what I've always told parents. If you don't discipline them, somebody will. If you don't discipline them, somebody will. And it, it might be somebody you don't appreciate disciplining them, like the next-door neighbor's older brother slapping around a little bit because they got sassy. Or, or maybe a neighbor. You know, and I'm, Pastor, you're very physical this morning with your violence. No. Um, we, we have been raised in a culture that if you do the right thing, you're ostracized for it because it goes against someone else's feelings our desires, so therefore everything goes no matter how you feel, and therefore goes the country, therefore goes the nation. That's how Israel ended up in bondage to begin with. So now we find a young man and his four friends being introduced and saying, hey, come on, man, you could have the good life. Why not? I mean, we've really been suffering. You're coming from another country that's been defeated. We deserve, you ever say that? I deserve to have a better life. We deserve to have, what if we just started saying, I need to have a godly life. I need to have a godly life. Now, having a godly life, because believe me, you can have a godly life and still be wealthy. You'll still be shocked at how wealth changes in your opinion doesn't mean you won't have money. It just means you won't care about money. Because if God knows he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. If, if It doesn't mean you won't have a nice house because you're godly. It's like, well, I was raised in a Christian home, and we had nothing. Listen, every one of us here feel that way about how we were raised. You know, we all, we're all doing better than our parents because we learned how to take out loans. Right? We just were in debt a lot earlier than our parents were. Somebody say amen. I know it's, it's, it's tight, but it's right. So here's, here's where we're going with this. He knew that if he sort of started taking of that food, he'd get used to it. If he started drinking that wine, now this isn't your wine and alcohol sermon. This is what tempts you to want a little bit more. What entices you to say, well, I'm trying to serve God. But, you know, this is a lifestyle. It's not a, bad, it's not a bad thing. The king's food wasn't a bad thing. It just wasn't, it would not have taken them 
and they would have never made a stand like they did once they got involved in that. Don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you hang out with people that you know if you made a stand for something right now, they would laugh at you? That, that if you somehow made a stand, guys, listen, I know we've been doing this for a couple of months, but this is wrong. You're the one that started it. What do you mean it's wrong? We, sh we really shouldn't be doing this. You might be surprised at how everybody's feeling that way. Because I'm convinced that not everybody in America is an idiot. Can, can I say that in church? I'm not, I'm not. But now, most people in America would want you to think that we're all idiots. Therefore, stop thinking. Don't think, just do, just believe. Just, just swallow everything we tell you. Just believe every, and accept everything we tell you. Well, once you started eating at the table of the culture, it's hard for you to stand up and say no when you're fighting for your place in line. I hope this is making sense. Well, Pastor, where does this go in the new year? This means I, I've already had to start looking at my life, at the influence I have, at the friends I have, at the church, at the congregation, at the school, at our daycare, at anything we do, and not to be, not to be legalistic, but just to say, okay, in 10 years, what will we have embraced if I don't resolve, here's what we believe right now? What will those children learn and know over the next two or three years unless I've resolved, here's the way we live this out? You see, here's one thing about the school, just the school real quick. We're not just teaching kids how to read. We're developing them how to live. We're partnering with parents, not just to teach your child how to read and count and say their ABCs, but it, what does it look like to be a young man and woman of God when you walk out into the culture? What is it? Wouldn't you love to know that your 15-year-old son was going to stand up one day and say, no, I will not be a part of that? Well, he'll have to make his own decisions. Believe me, he will make his own decisions. But it's going to be based on a foundation that you lay. Amen? Last one, very quick. I can tell it's time to close. <clears throat> Resolve to be like Jesus. You know, this isn't as hard as we make it sometimes. How we think, what we know, what we embrace becomes who we are. Resolve the way to live out our faith and then resolve to be like Jesus. God has always intended us for us to be like his son. His word tells us that. If there were more Christians, people who called themselves Christians, who would become more like Christ, what would our church look like? What would the neighborhood look like? What would our families look like? These three young men standing all by themselves, um, we see that Daniel, just because of this decision, had influence on his friends. I'm going to challenge you to do three things very quickly. Number one, decide who right now you want to have influence with. What friend do you want to have influence with? Well, what do you mean? Because when I become more like Christ, it will influence people. Now, how did it influence his friends? If you go ahead a few chapters, and we're not going to be in Daniel next week, so you might want to go ahead and read chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to make a powerful decision. The king had put out a decree, if anyone does not bow to the culture. I'm going to play a song, and when you hear this song, you better bow down to the God. Our culture is always going to play a song for you to bow down to. And you're going to have to make a decision. Their decision was bow down. Listen, you know, we, we get all riled up. Bow down, or you may lose your tax-exempt status. Bow down or you're going to get a fine. Here, here's what theirs was. Bow down or I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. Now, before you get all worked up, that wasn't just a Sunday school story. This is a prophetic, apocalyptic, a, a prophetic book, historical. 
they didn't bow down. They take these three men to the king, and I'm paraphrasing, but I love this. King, we don't even have to think about this. You know, and most of us, can I do a 21-day Daniel fast to make my decision on this? No. When he said, I'm going to give you one more chance, wait, you don't, you don't even have to waste the wind in the instrument. We don't even have to think about this. We're not going to bow down. And listen, when we're in the fire, we know that God is able to deliver us. So we know that he's able. Whole message right here. We know that he's able. But even if he doesn't, in other words, even if life doesn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out, I'm still not bowing down. I'm, I'm still, even if I'm not as comfortable as I thought I should be, I'm still not bowing down. Even though things don't always work out like I think, I'm still not bowing down. And so in they go, and out they came. Didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Now, here's, here's all I'm saying. You have that kind of influence that you'll be surprised that when you start taking your walk with Christ seriously, and please listen, this is not behavior modification. I'm not trying to make anyone in here feel like you better get good enough to follow Jesus. No, you'll never be good enough to follow Jesus. Jesus just says, follow me, and I will make you. It's when you are following him, he makes you stronger. <clears throat> I hate it when my wife looks at me and says, I can tell you've not been praying. I hate it for two reasons. Number one, she's right. And number two, it's usually because I'm acting in a way that proves that she's right. And she's just very mild with me. So I'm not a bad person. She's usually very, very mild. It's usually something very stupid, quite honestly. Why? Because when I don't stay in a, prime, a framework of staying in the Word, living in prayer, why do you do that? Because if I don't stay in the Word, I forget what He said. And if I don't stay in prayer, I'm not meditating on it, on what He's trying to say to me. <clears throat> this will not have the spiritual application I'm going for here, but um, my wife and I saw a pretty weird movie yesterday called Don't Look Up, all right? I'm not encouraging people to watch the movie, even though you probably will at this point. But it's, it's about um, uh, people that are trying to survive this attack that is obviously taking place. But, but everyone around them, the political advisors, the president, there's a comet heading right toward Earth. It's coming. All the scientists have shown it is happening. This is, this is, by the way, this is not a true story. And we had six months. It's going to have impact in six months. But all the political leaders said, no, not going to happen. Why? Because they had primaries coming up, and they didn't want that kind of an emergency to deal with publicly. So now politics was got into play. And now different people started believing, and different people started putting out their stories. And the next thing you know, People were either for it or against it. It was a, a strong parody on our nation, quite honestly. How silliness can get in the midst of everything, and nobody's focusing on the fact that a comet's coming in just a few hours. Until finally they all realized the comet is coming, and so the, it's a, it was a miracle. They all just settled down, told each other how much they loved each other, and here's how the movie ended, a big explosion. But it was over, right, the end. Now, <clears throat> that was a bad illustration, Pastor. No, let me tell you something. Jesus is coming. That is a reality. A comet is on its way. That's the advent we just celebrated. We're not waiting for the first coming. We're waiting for the second coming. He is on his way. Oh, uh, come on, man. I don't believe that. I know. I know. It, it's going to happen, though. You know, Pastor, I don't even believe in God. That's okay. Yeah, it, it'll, you, you're going to believe in something because every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess. I'm just trying to get you to the place where it's not too late. That you don't buy in and drink the Kool-Aid of the culture. Drink the Kool-Aid to the point where you don't even believe anything. You don't believe, well, it's okay for me to do this, and it's okay for me. What are you basing that on? Not the Bible. I don't even believe the Bible. Well, then how are you basing anything on truth? Um, Pastor, I think you're meddling. No, um, we're just getting warmed up. Because the reality is, I teach too many classes where I see young men and women coming into the classes and sitting there, and they're coming out of churches, and I'm blown away with what they don't believe. And I'm blown away with what they do. They've embraced the culture. They've, they've jumped into the enticement. And see, I would get in all of our business if I started talking about technology. How much time do I have? You see, we live on our technology, right? Well, pastor, it's a good thing. Yeah, I know. It knows everything you do. It knows everything you do. It knows what you buy so well that it pops up ideas all day long when you're scrolling the internet. You know, here's that boat you were thinking about. Boom. You know, in that car. And, and I'm tired of it. My wife is on there all the time looking at different things. And every time I get on my computer because it's in her name, I got all this stuff popping up all the time. Why? Because we bought into the table that we can't exist without technology. And, and it's controlling, guys. And see, now I'm going to sound like that old-timey preacher who used to preach against television. Remember that guy? You know, the boob tube, don't watch that, it make you stupid. Well, guess what? We're the stupidest people I know right now. Because the bottom line is we live and breathe by everything we just see and sound like. Rather than getting on our hands and our face before God and saying, here I am. I am not going to buy into this, God. I want to live a resolved life that has made a decision. I will follow you. Let's all stand. Ingrid, if you'll please come. Here's how I want us to close today. <clears throat> I, I know I, I want to be very respectful to um, any contact that you're concerned with, so I don't, you don't have to hug anybody or touch anybody if you don't like. But if you, if you don't mind just taking the hand of the person next to you or just putting it on their shoulder, um, just holding the tag on their ear, on their mask, whatever. And, and here's the how I want us to pray for each other. What, what are you going to determine that needs to change in order to be godly? It's not about all the junk you need to lay down. We'll let the Holy Spirit deal with that, right? It's will you make a decision? Can you see that the enemy is trying to pull you out of one place and put you in another? We didn't even talk about today the, the fact that they changed all their names. Why? Because when they were in Jerusalem, Daniel's name meant judge of God. The others meant um, the, the child of God. They all had names that represented their identity with who they were in God. Babylon changed all their names to give them a new identity. See, all this culture wants to do is, is change your identity, change your life. And it goes nowhere. So what will resolve? What needs to go? And more importantly, will you just, will you just say, God, I give my life to you speak to me when we're here at church when we're in our grace groups when we're with our families talking over dinner over lunch maybe talking about the conflict in our family listen if you've got a family there's conflict amen talk about it but talk about it from what if we were more christ-like would our family stay the same if we were more christ-like would our neighborhood stay the same? If our neighborhood were more Christ-like, would our city stay the same? 
but it all starts with you. It started with Daniel, and it starts with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, let today be a day that we look back, maybe for some because it's a new year, but Lord, for all of us because our eyes are, are opened to the fact that the enemy is always trying to entice us and move us and, and shift and re-identify, re-educate, re-reposition. And Lord, that's why your word tells us don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Father, I pray that, that as we have resolved today to follow after you, Lord, it's not about a behavior issue. It's more about just walking by faith and even daily saying, God, I need you. I need your help today, Father. I can't do it without you. Lord, I just pray that for some today be a day they can look back on and point to the fact that that was the day I resolved to follow Jesus, to become Christ-like. Now, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place, Lord, there may be some that desire special prayer. There may be some who want to just stay after and talk. But God, I pray that as we leave this place, we understand that we're not leaving your presence. And that as we go, that your Holy Spirit would go with us and would use us to influence others. Lord, there's friends. There's people in our community. Lord, there's leaders that we can influence. And I pray that you do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll certainly uh, see you next week. Go online. Um, if you're comfortable, let us know what God is doing in your life, and we'll look forward to talking to you. Amen. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.